0: My name is Mike, I'm one of the pastors here. And so I have a picture I want to show you on the screen here, and i got a question about this picture. Is there something confusing about this picture? Does anybody spot that pic, that, what's confusing there? Now, wait a minute. I took this picture, and I saw this. This is over on Minton Road, okay? And I often wondered about this because there's a sidewalk, right? Does everybody see that the sidewalk ends? And then there's a sign that says, end of sidewalk. Like, is that confusing? (laughs) Like, if you were, like, walking along, would you, like, recognize that the sidewalk ended without that sign? (laughs) And my thoughts are maybe, like, somebody was maybe jogging, and they were just going along with their headset, and they got it, and they go, what happened here? You know, you know, and then, or here's the other one. Here, I thought about this. Maybe somebody was riding their bikes, right, on the sidewalk, and they were texting and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what happened here? What happened? It was confusing. And my only thought is maybe they had so much of that that they had to put a sign up yeah. to warn people that it's the end of the sidewalk. Yeah. Totally confusing. So over there on Minton Road, you can go check it out if you like. But here's the thing is, is that our, someone said lawsuits. There <laughs> we go. Is there a lot of things in this world that are confusing right now? There is, as we look. Some people are confused about things. And I titled tonight, No Confusion When It Comes to Jesus. No Confusion When It Comes to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turned to Colossians 1. We'll start in verse 15. And here's the thing is that when it comes to Jesus, there's no confusion. But sometimes there is confusion. And in the church of Colossae, as Pastor Dave shared last week, Paul wrote this. And he's in Rome. And he's in Rome for sharing his faith in Christ. And he's waiting his trial for Caesar, with Caesar. And by the way, that was a prophecy given to, uh, to Paul that he would face Caesar one day. That's what Jesus told him. He's going to face kings, and he's going to tell about Jesus. So Paul knows exactly what's going on. So here, Paul, is in prison and Ephraim who he met in uh, Ephesus, say that twice, okay, and Ephraim comes to the Lord. He is saved, all right? So he receives the gospel. He believes in Jesus Christ. He goes back to Colossae, and he shares about Christ. See, Paul's never been to this church, as Pastor Dave shared last week. He's never been to this church. But Ephraim started the church there, shared the gospel, and then all of a sudden some things started to happen in Colossae. And we read a lot of times in different churches and different things to the past that false teachings creep into the church, and they had this solid foundation about who Jesus Christ is, and this false teaching started to creep in, and they started to get confusing messages, and started to get confusing. So Paul, who understood this and got that from Ephesus, had to send this letter, and it also went to Laodicea as well to give them a solid foundation back to the foundation who Christ is, and then also that they stand firm in their faith. And here's the thing is, these set of verses that we're going to go through are so powerful. These are one of the most powerful verses in the entire New Testament. Very powerful. Matter of fact, also there's a lot of doctrine in this. Everybody say doctrine. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about doctrine tonight. We're also going to talk about application. So here's the uh, let's go to the, uh, verse 15. Let's go to that. And it says the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And here's the first point that we know this is no confusion. Jesus is God, right? I mean, they knew this, but Paul had to rewrite this back and say it again that who Jesus is. And sometimes there's some confusion on this first set of verses here. It says the image of the invisible God. Now, when you break down image in Greek, it's called icon. Icon is likeness. And the thing about it is, is that Jesus is more than just like God. He is God's likeness. He is the manifestation of God. He is God in flesh. It's kind of like this illustration. Just imagine, anybody know any twins here? Anybody know twins? Okay, a few people. So you know twins. Let's just say you had a, you had a set of twins that you knew them. Let's just say, for all intents and purposes, that they were never born, but you knew the twins, like they existed, okay? So they existed, and these twins were perfectly identical, and they were perfect, all the same, everything identical. They worked at the same job but they had different roles. See, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit, one God, okay? All equal, but they all have different roles, okay? So God the Son definitely has a role. We're going to kind of share about that as well. Then it goes and it says that the firstborn over over all creation, as Paul continues to write that, and the word firstborn sometimes can be confusing to people. The Greek word is protokos. and refers to the first among others, okay, as preeminent, a position of authority. It does not imply that Christ was created, okay? Now, some, some groups, Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus was created. If you encounter them, they will use that verse and they will say, well, look, it says here, it says right here he was first born, okay? Created for, so, so he's got to be, he's a created being. Matter of fact, they think he's like Arch, the archangel Michael, okay? But it's not true. And here's the thing is, uh, just not too long ago, um, I was at a leadership meeting. Uh, we meet every, uh, every uh, week. And in that meeting, we meet at 6 a.m., we talk, we pray, we seek God. And after that meeting, we left, and as we walked out in the parking lot, Uh, Everybody left, myself and one of the guys, Jared, were there. We're just talking about things. And all of a sudden, a van pulls up and parks like two parking spots away. And the gentleman gets out, and he walks over, and I'm thinking, okay, he's either asking for directions or he's going to shoot us because he's looking intense. Like he's walking over, man. He's just going over. He's walking over. So he comes over. He starts to talk to us, and he starts to share about some religious things. And he starts to share and ask us questions about our faith. Now, he didn't know that we've all been to the school of ministry, Bible college, and all these things, okay? And he didn't know that I prayed that day that I would be able to the opportunity to open the door to share about Jesus Christ. And he starts to speak to us about things, and all of a sudden, we're recognizing who he's part of, and now we're going back and forth with Scripture, and we're going, talking about certain things. We're going to talk about some of the Scriptures tonight, and we're discussing Scripture, and it's all polite. It's all good. And he's saying things, and we're saying things, and all of a sudden, has any of you ever been where you, you, you're out and about and you talk to somebody and all of a sudden God gives you a word? Like the Spirit of God gives you a word to say to somebody. So as I'm talking with him and Jared, we're talking with him, I feel like God has given me a word to tell him about him and his life. And so it comes out and I, I just share it. You know how God just, you just share it? And so I just share it out there and he, he goes like this. He looks at me like this these big old bright eyes, and he goes, Oh, well, I got to go, and he starts walking away, okay, so he starts walking off, and so Jared and I are talking, and I go, well, I'm not done talking to him about Jesus, okay, so I start to follow him in the parking lot, and I'm following him, I say, listen, Jesus loves you, God died for you, Jesus is God, okay, I want to share some more with you and all this, and he gets in his door, and he slams the door, and he goes, you guys are crazy, and I'm getting out of here, and he pulls off. Crazy stuff. Are there some people confused? Okay? Some people are confused. And God will open the door for us to share about him. And here's the thing. As I read this article, and this was last year, and this was out of Newsweek, 52% of Americans say Jesus isn't God but was a great teacher, 52% of Americans. That would mean like if we were, you know, half of this group would say that Jesus is not God. But he was just this great teacher. Is there things confusing out there? No doubt. And it goes on and it says that nearly one-third of evangelicals uh, in the survey agreed that Jesus isn't God compared to 65% who said Jesus is uh, the first and greatest being created by God. And this debate was whether Jesus is God is differing with Christian interpretation of the Bible. This is what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is God. And that's what we teach. So if you're new, if you're online, or if you're here and you're new, you're not sure, Jesus Christ is God. Okay? And here's the thing is, is that when we're out and about talking to people, we have to be ready to talk to people. Okay? We have to be ready. 1 Peter 3, uh, 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord... Always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with what? Gentleness and respect. And through the Old Testament, there are statements that are about Jesus, okay, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's uh, Jesus talks about who he is. There's others that talk about who Jesus is and that he's God. And we always have to be prepared, prepared for an answer that our hope is in Christ. So I have some statements that I'm going to share for you. These are verses out of the Bible. And the first one is going to be out of the Old Testament. This is Zechariah. Now, this was written approximately 500 years before Jesus Christ was born. And Zechariah, who was a prophet, okay, this is what he says. This is God speaking to him. This is God speaking. he says, and I will pour out, uh, pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look upon me whom they pierced. Here's this prophecy about Jesus, and this is Jesus talking, and the prophet Zechariah is sharing this, okay, to the Israelites, talking about uh, the, the Messiah will be pierced. By the way, during this time, there was no piercings going on. There was no Roman government during this time at all. I mean, if you were to talk to somebody and say, hey, Let me read you this verse about God or Jesus being pierced, or just put it this way. Do you know the Bible? And they say, well, I know a little bit of it. Okay, well, if I talked about piercings, what would you say it would be? Most people would say Jesus, right? And here's the thing is when we read these verses to people and we share them with them, it really hones in that, hey, by the way, this was written 500 years prior to Jesus' birth. How did this gentleman... Zechariah know there was going to be a piercing in the future by the Messiah. That's one thing. Now, Jesus. We're going to go through these, and you can study these on your own. Uh, John eight fifty eight. Jesus said, and this is the Pharisees, most, assur- most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was I am. That term I am means God. These... Pharisees knew that. They knew what that meant. Matter of fact, after Jesus said that statement about being I am, they said it was blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. It was so bad that they wanted to get stones and they wanted to throw them at him because he was claiming to be God. John 10, 30, another verse that Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Father and I are one. We are one, he says, okay? And the Pharisees, they went crazy about that as well. The same thing. It was like blasphemy. How can you say that you and the Father are one? And here's the thing is is that Jesus, one of his own disciples, Philip, was a little confused. And in John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Because you see the Father through me, because we are one. After Jesus was resurrected, everybody knows Thomas, right? What's his first name? I thought it was Thomas. No, (laughs) okay. Doubting Thomas, John 20, 27 through 28. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, and look at my hands and reach your finger, okay, into your hands, right, and put them into my side. And he says to him, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And listen to what Thomas said. He answered him and said, my Lord and my God. Now, would Thomas say that just flippantly? See, he's saying, you're my Lord. You are God. And Jesus is God. I think about Paul even. Paul who wrote Colossians. Excuse me, he wrote Colossians. I think about Paul. Paul, he's on the road to Damascus before he was a believer in Christ. And he is on the road to go capture Christians and have them killed. Like he did not believe in Jesus. And matter of fact, he hated Christians so bad, all right, so bad that he would have them put to death. He was like a modern-day terrorist. And here's this man, Paul, who prior to coming to Christ, he's not the disciple, he's not the Messiah at all. And then he has an experience with Jesus, right? And Jesus comes and says, Who are you, you know, who are you persecuting? And he has this experience and he accepts Jesus Christ as God. And he writes then about Jesus being God. And yet people say that Jesus is not God. See, the Bible says that he is God, assuredly. All right, let's go to verse 16. For in him are all things that were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So Jesus created all things, okay, he created, including us. And here's the thing is that Jesus created us. What were we created for? Think about that. Yeah, good works, all these good things. Okay, well listen, listen to what the prophet Isaiah, it's on the screen, look what he says here, prophet Isaiah three seven. he says that everyone who is called by my name, who's called by the na- Jesus' name, raise your hand, good, and whom I've created for my glory whom I have formed even whom I've made. So no confusion, Jesus was created, wasn't created, Jesus is the creator and he was created, excuse me, we were created for his glory and to glorify him. I mean, think about a moment. Okay, you and I were created for God's glory and to bring Him glory, to honor Him, to praise Him, to glorify Him, to praise Him for His abundant grace. Anybody thankful for grace in here? To thank Him for His abundance in life, thank Him for the riches of His unending love. God is righteous and just and having power by His name. And He is worthy, as we sang, He is worthy. And the question is, how do we glorify God? And there's no confusion. If you have your notes, write it down. It says, we glorify God when we walk, talk, and act like Jesus did. We walk, talk, and act like Jesus did. A few years ago, we used to have bracelets here. Remember, you used to wear those bracelets you used to wear? Um, live dangerously, right? That was one of them. Um, one of them was about prayer, right? Yes, no, and what? Wait, you guys remember that, right? Uh, VIO, the value of impact of one. That was one of them. Anybody remember this certain bracelet? There's going to be a picture of it on the screen. Anybody remember that bracelet? Okay, what does that stand for? What? That was really good. What would Jesus do? That's exactly what it stood for. What would Jesus do? So there's a... That's really good. What would Jesus do? But we've got a new bracelet that's going to come out. We don't, but I'm just saying, okay? DWJD. What does that stand for? Do what Jesus did. You guys do you guys that. That's really good. That's a, listen, what would Jesus do is great, but do what Jesus did, I think, is better, right? Do what he did. So I think I'm going to get that one wrapped up, and I'm going I'm to uh, put that one out. Anybody want to buy one? <laughs> but anyway, just what Jesus did. And it's great to know what Jesus, you know, what he did. And so we understand, because here's the biggest thing, is that we know lost, Peter, lost pe- people matter to Jesus. So here's the thing, is how did Jesus treat lost people? Jesus loved them. Jesus was kind to them. Jesus was patient with them. Jesus spoke the truth with grace to them. And here's the thing as church, is that we'll win more people to Jesus when they see Jesus through us. John wrote in 1 John 2.6, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. See, we are called and commanded to love them, people, unbelievers, to be kind to him. Matter of fact, Romans 2.4 says that God uses kindness to draw people to repentance. See, kindness draws people to repentance. So if we're kind to them, okay, now there's, there's two ways to talk to people, right? You could talk to people like with a baseball bat about Jesus, right? Bam, bam, bam. Does that ever work? No. Or you could be loving to them, you could be kind to them, you can be patient to them, and think about it. That's how Jesus was. But where else do we see those things? Those are the fruit of the Spirit. See, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. So we need to be led by the Spirit so that we have, our fruit is going to show we're going to have love, we're going to have kindness, we're going to have patience, and that will draw people to Jesus Christ. And it brings glory to God when we walk, talk, and act like the Son of God and we walk like Jesus. So, any of you ever been to Chipotle? Chipotle. I always say Chipotle. Chipotle. Anybody ever been there? So, my wife, Bridget, and I were there um, just recently, and we were on a date night, and we're on the patio. We're having a good time just talking, and um, as we're eating our food, this young man walks by us, goes inside... And I recognize the guy's pretty, in pretty good shape. And he gets his food, he comes back out, and we're on the patio, and there's all these tables, and he sits like we're here, and he sits right here with his back to us. And I'm like, okay, all right. So we're eating away and, and just eating, and, and I'm like, okay, man, God, is this like an open door or share? His back's to me, I don't know. So Bridget goes back in, she wants to get some stuff to go. And I say to him, hey, You're like a big eater. I didn't know what to say, but the guy was like this. And he goes, he looks back at me. He goes, "Huh?" (laughs) I said, "Man, you're a big eater." He goes, "Yeah, I mean, I'm just so hungry." And uh, I go, "Yeah, I mean, I love this place." And he goes, "Yeah, I love this place too." And so we start to rap. You know, we're just talking away, just having a great time. And I ask him where he's from, and he says, "Oh, listen, we're from Fort Lauderdale. We moved up to here recently. I uh, I go to school at UCF, but I'm back in town." And and um, and we just we love it here and I said hey, so you love Melbourne? Anybody ever say that? Melbourne? They're from Fort Lauderdale. So we're just talking away and having a great chat, and his name was Jack, and we're having a good conversation. And as I'm talking with him, I say to him, Hey Jack, do you have like any spiritual beliefs? And so Jack says to me, he goes, Yeah, I I, I believe in God. I go, okay, awesome. I said, did you, you guys go to church? Or did you, when you are at Fort Lauderdale, there's a big church there, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. Did you go to church down there? And he goes, no, well, we went when we were young and we just didn't ever win anymore and started, you know, no, nah, I just don't go and all this. Uh, but I believe in God. And I said, that's awesome. That's great. I believe in God too. And as we're just talking away and having a really good conversation, and he's really engaging, we're talking, and I just said, hey, Jack, let um, me ask you a question. Um, if something were to happen to you and you were to face God, like you were to die and face God. And, and, and we never know when it's going to happen, I said, because I had, we had some good friends of ours who lost a son at, at a young age. But why would God allow you into heaven? And all of a sudden, he's just, he's quiet. And he says to me, because I'm a good person. And I said, man, that's great, Jack. That's awesome. You're a good person. And, and I said, hey, is it okay if I ask you some more questions? Because I'm asking permission for him. And I said, can I ask this He goes, yeah. I said, uh, you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? And he goes, yeah, I've heard of that. And I go, okay, um, you, you know, it's not that movie that Charleston Heston did, you know, 1950, okay? And he laughed, and we're just talking away. I said, is it okay if I ask you some questions about the Ten Commandments? Have you heard of it? He goes, yeah, I know what those are. I said, okay, have you ever told a lie? And he looks at me, I said, yeah, have you ever, like me, have you ever told a lie? And he goes, well, yeah. And I said, if I told you a lie, what would you call me? He goes, a liar? Okay, I said, good, okay, great. I said, have you ever stolen anything? Because I have. And he goes, yeah. And I said, if I stole some from you, what would you call me? And he goes, he goes, a stealer. And I go, well, that's in Pittsburgh. No. <laughs> um, so, so we're talking away. And, and, and I said, hey, Jack, have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your eyes? I said, I, I have. And you know, Bridge is sitting next to me and, and uh and I repented, by the way, okay. And so she, <laughs> this is my past. And so uh and, and so he goes, Well, yeah, and I go, Well, Jesus said, If whoever looked with a woman in lust in her eyes have committed adultery in their heart. And I said, Have you ever said God's name in vain? Like I have when I'm, I wasn't an unbeliever. And he goes, Yeah, and I said, That's blasphemy, that's a huge one. I said, Those are just like a few of God's commandments that God has written, those are his law. And you've broken those laws, and I've broken those laws as well. And that since we have broken those laws, and you were to face God, and those are His perfect laws, okay? Would God give you heaven or hell? Would you be innocent or guilty? And at this point, his eyes are like this, and he goes, Man, I would be guilty. I said, Does that concern you? And he goes, Yes, that, that does. I said, Jack do you know what God did for you? He goes, no, what did God do? Uh, he, he, you know, and I shared the gospel with him about Jesus Christ. How all of us, have we all broken the law? All of us, right? And by God's grace, as I'm sharing with him, and he's, he's 18, we're talking about I'm sharing the gospel with him, and all of a sudden I said, listen, you want to accept Jesus Christ? And he's like, yes! I mean, so we, <laughs> Praise God. So we're sitting there talking, and I'm just sharing with him, and he's, he accepted Christ with my wife and I, right there in Chapulte. okay? And here's the thing is, was he conf- a little confused beforehand, but was there clarity afterwards knowing who God is, that Jesus is God, and he came to save him and rescue him because he loved him? Man, we exchanged information. It's been great. And listen, it's just great to be able to do that and be able to share out about Christ. And listen, we don't have to go with a baseball. We can go with loving kindness and with patience and share the gospel. Church, I'm telling you, it is out there everywhere. I'm going to tell you, 52% of the people that you encounter out there are confused that Jesus is God. 52%. Remember that when you're in the grocery store. 52%. And let's be encouraged to share. Listen, are we thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ? Is there a lot of bad news out there? Let's share good news, because Jack left with some good news from Chipotle, okay? He also left with some really good burrito, okay? But here's the thing is, is that I, I was really, really convicted that day. I'm going to be honest with you. It's been some time since I've done that because of the busyness and this was on a Saturday, and on Friday I watched a, uh, we have a men's Facebook group, and there was a devotion on And I watched the devotion, and the, the person giving the devotion was talking about sharing our faith. And I was getting really convicted. On Saturday morning, my quiet time, I was in Second Thessalonians, and a the part that I was in, I was reading, and I was talking about that, about the gospel and sharing the gospel. And I wrote in there, and I wrote specifically, I wrote, share about Jesus that day. And I know God was telling me, listen, Mike, I used to do it a lot, and it's, it's been some time because I'm just so busy, and it's like, listen, there's no excuse. So I had to repent. I had to ask for forgiveness. And then God opened the door to share the gospel with me, and I'm going to go walk right through it. Because I know one thing. I don't want to face God one day and be the one that faces God one day. And God says, what did you do with everything I've given you, all the gifts that I've given you, I've given you my spirit. I've given you my word. I've given you my truth. I don't want to be the one that faces God one day and says, oh, I, I just never did. I didn't know. Because there's going to be people that are going to face God one day. That's the reality. They're going to face God one day. God's really clear about go and make disciples, okay, share our faith. I don't want to be one of those people. You want to be one of those people? No. So let's be encouraging and share the gospel with people, okay? let's go Because it's really good news. It really is. So here's the thing is, is this. Let's go to Colossians 1.17. It says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So here, Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus he holds all things together. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Can we make something out of nothing? I mean, that, I scratch the head and sometimes when people think that things are made out of nothing. Like, how does that work, right? But God spoke the worlds in motion. He holds it all together. We know that Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. And here's the thing is I know everybody believes in a miracle. They don't. some people they don't. They say they don't, but they do. I've talked to people and I say, you believe in miracles? No, I don't. I say, well, explain how it all started. The Big Bang, right? How did it start? I don't know. Is that a miracle? I guess it is. Well, you believe in miracles. So Jesus created the heavens and earth. He created the universe, our solar system. So I got a picture of this solar system, part of it. Here's our solar system. And think about this. Here are these planets, that are all lined up, right? Everybody see Earth over there? Everybody sees the Earth, which one is it? The third, right? Right, Mercury, Venus, Earth, right? So there it is, and it's rotating around the sun. Here it is, rotating around the sun, all right? And by the power of God and His Word, He spoke that into motion. I mean, is that powerful or what? I mean, think of the sun, how powerful that sun is, and Jesus spoke that into motion. See, God's Word is powerful. And now there's rotation going around there, and it's been doing that for thousands of years. And there's life on one of those planets. And life has been on that planet for thousands of years. And it's been going in that rotation exactly alike for thousands of years. Now, some people say millions of years. I would call that a real miracle, okay? (laughs) All right? But thousands of years that's been happening in the same location, moving around, life on that planet where we're on is earth. Now, here's the thing is, if earth moved one degree over, where would we be right now? Well, we wouldn't be here right now. You'd be like, thank God I don't have to hear that guy teach. No, just joking. But here's the thing is, if it's one degree over, there is no life. Because we see the other planets, but there's no life on. One degree over. Here's the thing is is that God spoke that by His Word, and He holds that together. That is powerful. That's how powerful our God is. He's an orderly God, and He keeps it all together. And here's the thing is, in Hebrews 1, which I just read, it, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he spoken to us through, uh, by his Son, whom he appointed heir to all things. And through him, also, he made the universe, as we said. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of the, of the Father in heaven. So he sustains all these things. So here's Jesus appointed heir to all things, one of his roles. He made the universe. He's the exact representation of God. He is God. Jesus sustains all things by the powerful word. So church, there's no confusion. God and his word can hold us together. If God, if Jesus can hold all that stuff that we saw together, can he hold our lives together? I mean, think about that. He holds us by his mighty right hand. He can hold us together. Are there times that sometimes we wander a little, bit, a little bit away from God? Okay, at times. Do we ever just, we sin against God? We do. Do we ever have events in our life that things seem like they're just falling apart? Anybody ever experience that? And ever, anybody ever say, God, where are you? if Jesus can hold everything together, He can hold us together as well. His Word is powerful, and it holds things together. And how God and His Word holds us together is like this. God's Word reveals truth to us. God's Word rebukes us. God's word realigns us, God's word redirects us, God's word reassures us. And here's the thing is it reveals truth to us as we read to this. Have you ever read in here that, man, something really spoke to you? Like you wrote and you opened this, and it's like God was speaking to you, right? And you know it's truth. And then all of a sudden it's like a rebuke and you have to repent. Anybody ever read God's word and you have to repent? Okay, there's four of you. I'm gonna come meet me after service, okay? But God's Word rebukes us. And what does it do? It realigns us back with God. It's what it does. Like when I said that I haven't been sharing my faith quite as much, being vocal about it, moving out and doing that. Okay, It realigned me back with God. And then it redirects us. His Word, right, is what? A light is a path to our feet. And then God's Word reassures us. And here's the thing is, what we focus on most will depend on if we're falling apart or we're held together. Because there's some things that if we focus on things and we focus those directions, we keep focusing, we're going to fall apart. But God's Word and His truth keeps us back together and keeps things in alignment. So I have a question with with a, a slide up here. What percentage do you spend most of your time thinking about these things? Okay. Heavenly things and worldly things. So, anybody think of heavenly things 100% of the time? Right. If we were to do that, we'd be in heaven, right? So here's the thing is, but if you are uh, thinking worldly things 100% of the time, you're never thinking of God, that's not good. Am I 25% worldly, 75% heavenly, 25% heavenly, 75% worldly, these are, this is, you don't have to answer, this is something to really look at and evaluate, I've got to evaluate in my life, evaluate that in your life, how much, what percentage of my time do I speak about, think about heavenly things, and how much of my time, percentage wise, do I think about worldly things? Is the world a little bit crazy right now? do things seem like they're falling apart we just sang that song right the big reason is is because the world mostly okay does not focus on heavenly things it focuses on worldly things and even in the church when people come into counseling into the church marriage counseling men's counseling women's counseling biblical counseling Many times, the biggest reason is because they have not been focusing on heavenly things. It's mostly worldly things. And when they come in, what do we do is we don't counsel them ourselves being who we are. We counsel them back with what God says in His Word. And one of the questions that I ask when I do marriage counseling is, I ask them, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Yes, I am. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that this is God's word? They say yes. If they say no, I said, I have to share with them about who Jesus Christ is. And if they do, I said, okay, the counseling is going to be done by this right here. It's not going to be done by me or secular counseling. Just understand that. And there's going to be homework. Are you okay with that? Yes. Because I can assure you that if you go through here and the counseling through this book right here, your marriage may have been falling apart. But I guarantee you, if both of you do this, Jesus will hold it back together again. And it's amazing when I see people that don't do it fall apart. and When I see people that do do it and how their marriages are totally different. It's only by the power of God that happens. And it's so awesome. I've known couples that I've sat with, gone through the Word, six, seven, eight sessions and things in the Word. And the things were just being a divorce. They were falling apart, everything. And because of God and His Word and His Spirit, they are serving the Lord. Their marriages are, are, are awesome. And they're just so thankful that God put them back together. That's the power of God's Word. Amen? That's the power of His Word. And the thing about it is, as we think about God and think about heavenly things... God thinks about you and I. So there's no confusion. God thinks about you a lot. Listen to what David said in Psalm 139, 17 to 18. He says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. I mean, it's like this. Like if I had a thing of sand in my hand, and I asked you to count that sand, it would be literally impossible, wouldn't it? Count the specks of sand. That's how much God thinks about you. I mean, I would say God thinks about us 100%, right? That's how much He thinks about you. I mean, to me, that's amazing that God thinks about you and I that much. And a question comes into, how much do I think about God? Do I spend that much of time? He's thinking about me like the, the, the sand. I mean the grains of sand. That's incredible. So God wants us in this relationship for us to be thinking about him and thinking about us and which he does. And nothing better is that when we are thinking about him and he's thinking about us. And so I have this, you may have seen this, but how do you do your day? Here's some advice right here. This is how we do our day. Start with Jesus, stay with Jesus. And end with Jesus. That's how we do our day. Start early in the morning, get up, spend time with him. We start with Jesus. We go through the day. We stay with Jesus through the day. We think about him. He's on our minds. We have things we have to do, absolutely. But we stop, take moments, and spend time with him and his word and praying to him. And we stay in him. And then we get home. And then we at the end of the day. And then we end with Jesus as well. And the thing is, is man, we do it again the next day. And it's, it's great. And here's the warning. If you start your day with Jesus and you stay with Jesus in the day and you end your day with Jesus and you do that continually, there's a warning with that, okay? Here's the warning. You're going to have an overabundance of joy in your life. By the way, you're going to have an overabundance of hope in your life. Oh, wait a minute. You're going to have an overabundance of peace in your life if you do that every single day. Because there is hope, there is joy, and there is peace in Jesus Christ, and you can't find in any other place except him. Does everybody agree with that? All right. Let's go to verse 18. We've got to wrap this up. Let's go. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his ful- fullness dwell in him, and through him... To reconcile to himself, all things, whether things on earth, uh, things on heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of Calvary Chapel. He's reconciled us back with God. And here's the thing: is that we'll talk about reconciliation in a little bit in verse twenty-two. But here's the next thing we have to remember: is that no, no confusion. Jesus is the head of the church, and he wants his church to move forward in unity with one another. And I think about what. Uh, Jesus said in his prayer, he says, I do not pray for these alone, the people that were there, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in my, me through their word, that they are all together as one, as you are in one. Father, you uh, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So there's this unity, okay, that we see there between God and the Father and us and God. And there's this unity, he wants us to move all together. And so here's the thing is, is that there's 59 one another verses in the Bible, 59 of them. He, God wants us to be together. And we have problems. God gave us direction on how to do things. And there's no confusion. Jesus gives us direction on what we're to do when we have issues with one another. Do we ever have issues with one another? Well, we do. I tell you what. And God gives us the answers. Matthew 18:15. it says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If they will not listen to you, bring one or two along with you, okay, and discuss the matter, okay, establish and talk about it. If they refuse, it says, tell the church. We've had that where people come to the church. There's issues and talks and we talk about it. But if they refuse to listen, it says that the church is to treat them like a tax collector. The church doesn't want to do that. But we want to spend time talking about it, communicating, okay? And the purpose is for restoration, And there's no confusion is that Jesus is really into restoration, reconciliation, and relationships. Verse 21, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. Anybody thankful that you are free from accusation? Matter of fact, does anybody feel holy in here? Raise your hand if you are holy. You're a bunch of holy rollers in here, okay? But we are holy because of what Jesus Christ did. And it's so amazing, and there's confusion about that. And here's the no confusion, that when you put your hope and faith in Jesus, God views you as holy. You're set apart without blame. But who tries to blame us? Satan. He is the accuser. But Jesus says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. All right. Verse 23 says, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that have proclaimed in every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh uh, what is lacking in regard of Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul went through this suffering, okay, for sharing Christ. Many people rejected, And he says rejoice. And if we were in prison, we wouldn't say that. We'd be like, what? And how can he be rejoicing? But here's the thing is he's not rejoicing in suffering. He's rejoicing in the the fact that people have come to know who Jesus Christ is. See, he's rejoicing for that. And he was a man on mission with a purpose. And it's amazing all the things that God did through him. And he kept on mission. Verse twenty-five. It says, "I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make them among uh, known among the Gentiles in glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Anybody glad to be chosen? Anybody ever seen the show The Chosen? That's a great show. Verse 28 says, He is the one who proclaims, admonishing and teaching everything, everyone with wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I genuinely contend with all energy, Christ so powerfully works in me. So there's no confusion. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. We can do all things, Philippians 4.13. 4, and when God puts us to do something, he will empower us to do the things that he wants us to do. And the last verse I'll share with you says, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful to have victory? We have victory in Christ. Matter of fact, everybody just lift their hands up real quick and go like this. I know Ken's here. When you see each other, do this to each other. What does that stand for? Peace. For tonight, it stands for victory. Because we have victory in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, on account count of three, let's say we have victory. One, two, three. Have victory. Amen. Amen. So, God, we just thank you so much. Lord, we do have victory because of what you did at the cross, God. We are so thankful for you. And, God, as we just share with your word with About who you are as being God, and many people out there not understanding it, knowing that the statistics say fifty-two percent of people in America don't know that Jesus Christ is God. God, I just pray for anybody here tonight or listening online, if they have not accepted you as Jesus Christ, that tonight is the night for salvation. If you haven't, just say this: Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. God, I repent and I turn my life to you. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. Put your Holy Spirit inside of me so I can live this life following you. And God, thank you for rescuing me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. My name is Mike, I'm one of the pastors here, and so I have a picture I want to show you on the screen here, and I've got a question about this picture. Is there something confusing about this picture? Does anybody spot that pic, that, what's confusing there? Now, wait a minute. I took this picture, and I saw this. This is over on Minton Road, okay? And I often wondered about this because there's a sidewalk, right? Does everybody see that the sidewalk ends? And then there's a sign that says, End of Sidewalk. Like, is that confusing? Like, if you were, like, walking along, would you, like, recognize that the sidewalk ended without that sign? And my thoughts are maybe, like, somebody was maybe jogging, and they were just going along with their headset, and they got it, and they go, what happened here? You know, you know, and then, or here's the other one, here, I thought about this. Maybe somebody was riding their bikes, right, on the sidewalk, and they were texting, and like, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what happened here? What happened? It was confusing. And my only thought is maybe they had so much of that that they had to put a sign up to warn people that it's the end of the sidewalk. Totally confusing. So over there on Minton Road, you can go check it out if you like. But here's the thing is, is that our, someone said lawsuits. <laughs> here we go. Is there a lot of things in this world that are confusing right now? There is, as we look. Some people are confused about things. And I titled tonight, No Confusion When It Comes to Jesus. No Confusion When It Comes to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turned to Colossians 1. We'll start in verse 15. And here's the thing is that when it comes to Jesus, there's no confusion. But sometimes there is confusion. And in the church of Colossae, as Pastor Dave shared last week, Paul wrote this. And he's in Rome. And he's in Rome for sharing his faith in Christ. And he's waiting his trial for Caesar, with Caesar. And by the way, that was a prophecy given to, uh, to Paul that he would face Caesar one day. That's what Jesus told him. He's going to face kings, and he's going to tell about Jesus. So Paul knows exactly what's going on. So here, Paul, he's in prison. And Ephesus who he met in uh, Ephesus, say that twice, okay, and Ephraim comes to the Lord. He is saved, all right? So he receives the gospel. He believes in Jesus Christ. He goes back to Colossae, and he shares about Christ. See, Paul's never been to this church, as Pastor Dave shared last week. He's never been to this church. But Ephraim started the church there, shared the gospel, and then all of a sudden some things started to happen in Colossae. And we read a lot of times in different churches and different things to the past that false teachings creep into the church. And they had this solid foundation about who Jesus Christ is, and this false teaching started to creep in, and they started to get confusing messages, and started to get confusing. So Paul, who understood this and got that from Ephesus, had to send this letter, and it also went to Laodicea as well to give them a solid foundation back to the foundation who Christ is, and then also that they stand firm in their faith. And here's the thing is, these set of verses that we're going to go through are so powerful. These are one of the most powerful verses in the entire New Testament. Very powerful. Matter of fact, also there's a lot of doctrine in this. Everybody say doctrine. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about doctrine tonight. We're also going to talk about application. So here's the, uh, let's go to uh, verse 15, let's go to that. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And here's the first point that we know this is no confusion. Jesus is God, right? I mean, they knew this, but Paul had to rewrite this back and say it again, that who Jesus is. And sometimes there's some confusion on this first set of verses here. It says the image of the invisible God. Now, when you break down image in Greek, it's called icon. Icon is likeness. And the thing about it is, is that Jesus is more than just like God. He is God's likeness. He is the manifestation of God. He is God in flesh. It's kind of like this illustration. Just imagine, anybody know any twins here? Anybody know twins? Okay, a few people. So you know twins. Let's just say you had, a, you had a set of twins and you knew them. Let's just say, for all intents and purposes, that they were never born, but you knew the twins, like they existed, okay? So they existed, and these twins were perfectly identical, and they were perfect, all the same, everything identical. They worked at the same job but they had different roles. See, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit, one God, okay? All equal, but they all have different roles, okay? So God the Son definitely has a role. and We're going to kind of share about that as well. Then it goes in and it says that the firstborn over over all creation, as Paul continues to write that, and the word firstborn sometimes can be confusing to people. The Greek word is protokos. and refers to the first among others, okay, as preeminent, a position of authority. It does not imply that Christ was created, okay? Now, some, some groups, Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus was created. If you encounter them, they will use that verse and they will say, well, look, it says here, it says right here he was first born, okay? Created for, so, so he's got to be, he's a created being. Matter of fact, they think he's like the Arch, archangel Michael, okay? But it's not true. And here's the thing is, uh, just not too long ago, um, I was at a leadership meeting. Uh, we meet every, uh, every uh, week. And in that meeting, we meet at 6 a.m., we talk, we pray, we seek God. And after that meeting, we left, and as we walked out in the parking lot, Uh, Everybody left, myself and one of the guys, Jared, were there. We're just talking about things. And all of a sudden, a van pulls up and parks like two parking spots away. And the gentleman gets out, and he walks over, and I'm thinking, okay, he's either asking for directions or he's going to shoot us because he's looking intense. Like he's walking over, man. He's just going over. He's walking over. So he comes over. He starts to talk to us, and he starts to share about some religious things. And he starts to share and ask us questions about our faith. Now he didn't know that we've all been through the school of ministry, Bible college, and all these things, okay? And he didn't know that I prayed that day that I would be able to opportunity to open the door to share about Jesus Christ. And he starts to speak to us about things, and all of a sudden we're recognizing who he's part of. And now we're going back and forth with scripture and we're going talking about certain things. We're going to talk about some of the scriptures tonight. And we're discussing scripture, and it's all polite, it's all good. And he's saying things, and we're saying things, and all of a sudden. Has any of you ever been where you, you, you're out and about and you talk to somebody and all of a sudden God gives you a word? Like the Spirit of God gives you a word to say to somebody. So as I'm talking with him and Jared, we're talking with him, I feel like God has given me a word to tell him about him and his life. And so it comes out and I, I just share it. You know how God just, you just share it? And so I just share it out there and he, he goes like this. He looks at me like this. These big old bright eyes. And he goes, Oh, well, I got to go. And he starts walking away. Okay, so he starts walking off. And so Jared and I are talking, and I go, well, I'm not done talking to him about Jesus, okay? So I start to follow him in the parking lot, and I'm following him. I say, listen, Jesus loves you. God died for you. Jesus is God. Okay, I want to share some more with you and all this. And he gets in his door, and he slams the door, and he goes, you guys are crazy, and I'm getting out of here. And he pulls off. Crazy stuff. Are there some people confused? Okay? Some people are confused. And God will open the door for us to share about him. And here's the thing. As I read this article, this was last year, and this was out of Newsweek, 52% of Americans say Jesus isn't God but was a great teacher. 52% of Americans. That would mean like if we were, you know, half of this group would say that Jesus is not God. But he was just this great teacher. Is there things confusing out there? No doubt. And it goes on and it says that nearly one-third of evangelicals uh, in the survey agreed that Jesus isn't God compared to 65% who said Jesus is uh, the first and greatest being created by God. And this debate was whether Jesus is God is differing with Christian interpretation of the Bible. This is what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is God. And that's what we teach. So if you're new, if you're online, or if you're here and you're new, you're not sure, Jesus Christ is God. Okay? And here's the thing is, is that when we're out and about talking to people, we have to be ready to talk to people. Okay? We have to be ready. 1 Peter 3, uh, 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord... Always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with what? Gentleness and respect. And through the Old Testament, there are statements that are about Jesus, okay, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's uh, Jesus talks about who he is. There's others that talk about who Jesus is and that he's God. And we always have to be prepared, prepared for an answer that our hope is in Christ. So I have some statements that I'm going to share for you. These are verses out of the Bible. And the first one is going to be out of the Old Testament. This is Zechariah. Now, this was written approximately 500 years before Jesus Christ was born. And Zechariah, who was a prophet, okay, this is what he says. This is God speaking to him. This is God speaking. he says, and I will pour out, uh, pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look upon me whom they pierced. Here's this prophecy about Jesus, and this is Jesus talking, and the prophet Zechariah is sharing this, okay, to the Israelites, talking about uh, the, the Messiah will be pierced. By the way, during this time, there was no piercings going on. There was no Roman government during this time at all. I mean, if you were to talk to somebody and say, hey, Let me read you this verse about God or Jesus being pierced, or just put it this way. Do you know the Bible? And they say, well, I know a little bit of it. Okay, well, if I talked about piercings, what would you say it would be? Most people would say Jesus, right? And here's the thing is when we read these verses to people and we share them with them, it really hones in that, hey, by the way, this was written 500 years prior to Jesus' birth. How did this gentleman... Zechariah know there was going to be a piercing in the future by the Messiah. That's one thing. Now, Jesus. We're going to go through these and you can study these on your own. Uh, John eight fifty eight. Jesus said, and this is the Pharisees, most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was I am. That term I am means God. These... Pharisees knew that. They knew what that meant. Matter of fact, after Jesus said that statement about being I am, they said it was blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. It was so bad that they wanted to get stones and they wanted to throw them at him because he was claiming to be God. John 10, 30, another verse that Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Father and I are one. We are one, he says, okay? And the Pharisees, they went crazy about that as well. The same thing. It was like blasphemy. How can you say that you and the Father are one? And here's the thing is, is that Jesus, one of his own disciples, Philip, was a little confused. And in John 14:9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Because you see the Father through me, because we are one. After Jesus was resurrected, everybody knows Thomas, right? What's his first name? I thought it was Thomas. No, (laughs) okay. Doubting Thomas, John 20, 27 through 28. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, and look at my hands and reach your finger, okay, into your hands, right? And put them into my side. And he says to him, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And listen to what Thomas said. He answered him and said, my Lord and my God. Now, would Thomas say that just flippantly? See, he's saying, you're my Lord. You are God. And Jesus is God. I think about Paul even. Paul who wrote Colossians. Excuse me, he wrote Colossians. I think about Paul. Paul, he's on the road to Damascus before he was a believer in Christ. And he is on the road to go capture Christians and have them killed. Like he did not believe in Jesus. And matter of fact, he hated Christians so bad, all right, so bad that he would have them put to death. He was like a modern-day terrorist. And here's this man, Paul, who prior to coming to Christ, he's not the disciple, he's not the Messiah at all. And then he has an experience with Jesus, right? And Jesus comes and says, Who are you, you know, who are you persecuting? And he has this experience and he accepts Jesus Christ as God. And he writes then about Jesus being God. And yet people say that Jesus is not God. See, the Bible says that he is God, assuredly. All right, let's go to verse 16. For in him are all things that were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So Jesus created all things, okay, he created, including us. And here's the thing is that Jesus created us. What were we created for? Think about that. Yeah, good works, all these good things. Okay, well listen, listen to what the prophet Isaiah, it's on the screen, look what he says here, prophet Isaiah 43, 7, he says that everyone who is called by my name, who's called by Jesus' name, raise your hand, good, and whom I've created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I've made. So no confusion, Jesus was created, wasn't created, Jesus is the creator and he was created, excuse me, we were created for his glory and to glorify him. I mean, think about a moment. Okay, you and I were created for God's glory and to bring him glory. To honor him, to praise him, to glorify him, to praise him for his abundant grace. Anybody thankful for grace in here? To thank him for his abundance in life. Thank him for the riches of his unending love. God is righteous and just and having power by his name. And he is worthy as we sang. He is worthy. And the question is, how do we glorify God? And there's no confusion. If you have your notes, write it down. It says, we glorify God when we walk, talk, and act like Jesus did. We walk, talk, and act like Jesus did. A few years ago, we used to have bracelets here. Remember, you used to wear those bracelets We used to wear? Um, live dangerously, right? That was one of them. Um, one of them was about prayer, right? Yes, no, and what? Wait, you guys remember that, right? Uh, V-I-O, the value and impact of one. That was one of them. Anybody remember this certain bracelet? There's going to be a picture of it on the screen. Anybody remember that bracelet? Okay, what does that stand for? What? That was really good. What would Jesus do? That's exactly what it stood for. What would Jesus do? So there's a that's really good. What would Jesus do? But we've got a new bracelet that's going to come out. We don't. But I'm just saying. Okay. DWJD. What does that stand for? Do what Jesus did. You guys. You guys do that. That's really good. That's a, listen. What would Jesus do is great, but do what Jesus did. I think is better. Right. Do what he did, so I think I'm going to get that one wrapped up, and I'm going to I'm going to uh, put that one out. Anybody want to buy one? I just it so. But anyway, just what Jesus did, and it's great to know what Jesus, you know, what he did, and so we understand. Because here's the biggest thing: is that we know lost Peter, lost pe- people matter to Jesus. So here's the thing: is how did Jesus treat lost people? Jesus loved them. Jesus was kind to them. Jesus was patient with them. Jesus spoke the truth with grace to them. And here's the thing as church, is that we'll win more people to Jesus when they see Jesus through us. John wrote in 1 John 2.6, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. See, we are called and commanded to love them, people, unbelievers, to be kind to him. Matter of fact, Romans 2.4 says that God uses kindness to draw people to repentance. See, kindness draws people to repentance. So if we're kind to them, okay, now there's, there's two ways to talk to people, right? You could talk to people like with a baseball bat about Jesus, right? Bam, bam, bam. Does that ever work? No. Or you could be loving to them, you can be kind to them, you can be patient to them, and think about it. That's how Jesus was, but where else do we see those things? Those are the fruit of the Spirit. See, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, so we need to be led by the Spirit so that we have, our fruit is going to show we're going to have love, we're going to have kindness, we're going to have patience, and that will draw people to Jesus Christ. And it brings glory to God when we walk, talk, and act like the Son of God and we walk like Jesus. So, any of you ever been to Chipotle? Chipotle. I always say Chipotle. Chipotle. Anybody ever been there? So, my wife, Bridget, and I were there um, just recently, and we're on a date night, and we're on the patio. We're having a good time just talking, and um, as we're eating our food, this young man walks by us, goes inside... And I recognize the guy's in pretty good shape. And he gets his food, he comes back out, and we're on the patio, and there's all these tables, and he sits like we're here, and he sits right here with his back to us. And I'm like, okay, all right. So we're eating away and, and just eating, and, and I'm like, okay, man, God, is this like an open door or share? His back's to me, I don't know. So Bridget goes back in, she wants to get some stuff to go. And I say to him, Hey, You're like a big eater. I didn't know what to say, but the guy was like this, and he goes. He looks back at me. He goes, "Huh?" (laughs) I said, "Man, you're a big eater." He goes, "Yeah, I mean, I'm just so hungry." And uh, I go, "Yeah, I mean, I love this place." And he goes, "Yeah, I love this place too." And so we start to rap. You know, we're just talking away, just having a great time. And I ask him where he's from, and he says, "Oh, listen, we're from Fort Lauderdale. We moved up to here recently. I uh, I go to school at UCF, but I'm back in town." And and um, and we just we love it here, and I said, hey, So you love Melbourne? Anybody ever say that? Melbourne? They're from Fort Lauderdale. So we're just talking away and having a great chat, and his name was Jack, and we're having a good conversation. And as I'm talking with him, I say to him, Hey Jack, do you have like any spiritual beliefs? And so Jack says to me, he goes, Yeah, I I, I believe in God. And I go, okay, awesome. I said, did you, you guys go to church? Or did you, when you are at Fort Lauderdale, There's a big church there, Cowrie Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. Did you go to church down there? And he goes, no, well, we went when we were young, and we just didn't ever win anymore, and started, you know, no, nah, I just don't go and all this. Uh, but I believe in God. And I said, that's awesome. That's great. I believe in God, too. And as we're just talking away and having a really good conversation, and he's really engaging, we're talking, and I just said, hey, Jack, let um, me ask you a question? Um, if something were to happen to you, and you were to face God, like you were to die and face God. And, and, and we never know when it's going to happen, I said, because I had, we had some good friends of ours who lost a son at, at a young age. But why would God allow you into heaven? And all of a sudden, he's just, he's quiet. And he says to me, because I'm a good person. And I said, man, that's great, Jack. That's awesome. You're a good person. And, and I said, hey, is it okay if I ask you some more questions? Because I'm asking permission for him. And I said, can I ask you this He goes, yeah. I said, uh, you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? And he goes, yeah, I've heard of that. And I go, okay, um, you, you know, it's not that movie that Charleston Heston did, you know, 1950, okay? And he laughed, and we're just talking away. I said, is it okay if I ask you some questions about the Ten Commandments? Have you heard of it? He goes, yeah, I know what those are. I said, okay, have you ever told a lie? He looks at me, I said, yeah, have you ever, like me, have you ever told a lie? And he goes, well, yeah. And I said, if I told you a lie, what would you call me? He goes, a liar? Okay, I said, good, okay, great. I said, have you ever stolen anything? Because I have. And he goes, yeah. And I said, if I stole some th- from you, what would you call me? And he goes, he goes, a stealer. And I go, well, that's in Pittsburgh. No. <laughs> um, so, so we're talking away. And, and, and I said, hey, Jack, have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your eyes? I said, I, I have. And, you know, Bridget's sitting next to me, and and, uh, and I repented, by the way, okay. And so she <laughs> – this is my past. And so uh, and, and so he goes, well, yeah. And I go, well, Jesus said if whoever looked with a woman and lust in her eyes have committed adultery in their heart. And I said, have you ever said God's name in vain, like I have when I'm, I wasn't an unbeliever? And he goes, yeah. And I said, that's blasphemy. That's a huge one. I said, those are just, like, a few of God's commandments that God has written. Those are his law – and you've broken those laws, and I've broken those laws as well. And that since we have broken those laws, and you were to face God, and those are His perfect laws, okay? Would God give you heaven or hell? Would you be innocent or guilty? And at this point, his eyes are like this, and he goes, Man, I would be guilty. I said, Does that concern you? And he goes, Yes, that, that does. I said, Jack do you know what God did for you? He goes, no, what did God do? You know, and I shared the gospel with him about Jesus Christ. How all of us, have we all broken the law? All of us, right? And by God's grace, as I'm sharing with him, and he's he's 18, we're talking, but I'm sharing the gospel with him, and all of a sudden I said, listen, you want to accept Jesus Christ? And he's like, yes. I mean, so we, (laughs) praise God. So we're sitting there talking, and I'm just sharing with him, and he's, he accepted Christ with my wife and I right there in Chapulte. okay? And here's the thing is, was he conf- a little confused beforehand? But was there clarity afterwards knowing who God is, that Jesus is God, and he came to save him and rescue him because he loved him? Man, we exchanged information. It's been great. And listen, it's just great to be able to do that and be able to share out about Christ. And listen, we don't have to go with a baseball. We can go with loving kindness and with patience and share the gospel. Church, I'm telling you, it is out there everywhere. I'm going to tell you, 52% of the people that you encounter out there are confused that Jesus is God. 52%. Remember that when you're in the grocery store. 52%. And let's be encouraged to share. Listen, are we thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ? Is there a lot of bad news out there? Let's share good news, because Jack left with some good news from Chipotle, okay? He also left with some really good burrito, okay? But here's the thing is, is that I, I was really, really convicted that day. I'm going to be honest with you. It's been some time since I've done that because of the busyness. And this was on a Saturday, and on Friday I watched a, uh, we have a men's Facebook group, and there was a devotion on And I watched the devotion, and the the person giving the devotion was talking about sharing our faith. And I was getting really convicted. On Saturday morning in my quiet time, I was in 2 Thessalonians, and a part that I was in, I was reading, and was talking about that, about the gospel and sharing the gospel. And I wrote in there, and I wrote specifically, I wrote, share about Jesus that day. And I know God was telling me, listen, Mike, I used to do it a lot, and it's, it's been some time because I'm just so busy, and it's like, listen, there's no excuse. So I had to repent. I had to ask for forgiveness. And then God opened the door to share the gospel with me, and I'm going to go walk right through it. Because I know one thing. I don't want to face God one day and be the one that faces God one day. And God says, what did you do with everything I've given you, all the gifts that I've given you, I've given you my spirit. I've given you my word. I've given you my truth. I don't want to be the one that faces God one day and says, oh, I, I just never did. I didn't know. Because there's going to be people that are going to face God one day. That's the reality. They're going to face God one day. God's really clear about go and make disciples, okay, share our faith. I don't want to be one of those people. You want to be one of those people? No. So let's be encouraging and share the gospel with people, okay? Let's go because it's really good news. It really is. So here's the thing is, is this. Let's go to Colossians 1:17. It says, "He is before all things, and in him all things hold together." So here, Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus he holds all things together. Hebrews 11:3 says, "By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Can we make something out of nothing? I mean, that, I scratch the head and sometimes when people think that things are made out of nothing. Like, how does that work, right? But God spoke the worlds in motion. He holds it all together. We know that Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. And here's the thing is I know everybody believes in a miracle. They don't. some people they don't. They say they don't, but they do. I've talked to people and I say, you believe in miracles? No, I don't. I say, well, explain how it all started. The Big Bang, right? How did it start? I don't know. Is that a miracle? I guess it is. Well, you believe in miracles. So Jesus created the heavens and earth. He created the universe, our solar system. So I got a picture of this solar system, part of it. Here's our solar system. And think about this. Here are these planets, they're all lined up, right? Everybody see Earth over there? Everybody sees the Earth, is, which one is it? The third, right? Right, Mercury, Venus, Earth, right? So there it is, and it's rotating around the sun. Here it is, rotating around the sun, right? And by the power of God and His Word, He spoke that into motion. I mean, is that powerful or what? I mean, think of the sun, how powerful that sun is, and Jesus spoke that into motion. See, God's Word is powerful. And now there's rotation going around there, and it's been doing that for thousands of years. And there's life on one of those planets. And life has been on that planet for thousands of years. And it's been going in that rotation exactly alike for thousands of years. Now, some people say millions of years. I would call that a real miracle, okay, (laughs) all right? But thousands of years that's been happening in the same location, moving around, life on that planet where we're on is earth. Now, here's the thing is, if earth moved one degree over, where would we be right now? Well, we wouldn't be here right now. You'd be like, thank God I don't have to hear that guy teach. No, just joking. But here's the thing is, if it's one degree over, there is no life. Because we see the other planets, but there's no life on. One degree over. Here's the thing is, is that God spoke that by His Word, and He holds that together. That is powerful. That's how powerful our God is. He's an orderly God, and He keeps it all together. And here's the thing is, in Hebrews 1, which I just read, it, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he spoken to us through, uh, by His Son, whom He appointed heir to all things. And through Him, also, He made the universe, as we said. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And after He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of the, of the Father in heaven. So he sustains all these things. So here's Jesus appointed heir to all things, one of his roles. He made the universe. He's the exact representation of God. He is God. Jesus sustains all things by the powerful word. So church, there's no confusion. God and his word can hold us together. If God, if Jesus can hold all that stuff that we saw together, can he hold our lives together? I mean, think about that. He holds us by His mighty right hand. He can hold us together. Are there times that sometimes we wander a little, bit, a little bit away from God? Okay, at times. Do we ever just, we sin against God? We do. Do we ever have events in our life that things seem like they're just falling apart? Anybody ever experience that? And ever, anybody ever say, God, where are you? Jesus can hold everything together. He can hold us together as well. His word is powerful and it holds things together. And how God and his word holds us together is like this: God's word reveals truth to us, God's word rebukes us. God's word realigns us. God's word redirects us. God's word reassures us. And here's the thing: is it reveals truth to us as we read to this. Have you ever read in here that man something really spoke to you, like you wrote and you opened this and it's like God was speaking to you, right? And you know it's truth. And then all of a sudden it's like a rebuke, and you have to repent. Anybody ever read the God's word and you have to repent? Okay, there's four of you. I'm gonna come meet me after service. Okay. But God's Word rebukes us. And what does it do? It realigns us back with God. It's what it does. Like when I said I haven't been sharing my faith quite as much, being vocal about it, moving out and doing that. Okay, It realigned me back with God. And then it redirects us. His Word, right, is what? A light is a path to our feet. And then God's Word reassures us. And here's the thing is, what we focus on most will depend on if we're falling apart or we're held together. Because there's some things that if we focus on things and we focus those directions, we keep focusing, we're going to fall apart. But God's Word and His truth keeps us back together and keeps things in alignment. So I have a question with with a, a slide up here. What percentage do you spend most of your time thinking about these things? Okay? Heavenly things and worldly things. So, anybody think of heavenly things 100% of the time? Right, if we were to do that, we'd be in heaven, right? So here's the thing is, but if you are uh, thinking worldly things 100% of the time, you're never thinking of God, that's not good. Am I 25% worldly, 75% heavenly, 25% heavenly? 75% worldly, these are, this is, you don't have to answer, this is something to really look at and evaluate, I've got to evaluate in my life, evaluate that in your life, how much, what percentage of my time do I speak about, think about heavenly things, and how much of my time, percentage wise, do I think about worldly things? Is the world a little bit crazy right now? Do things seem like they're falling apart? We just sang that song, right? The big reason is, is because the world mostly, okay, does not focus on heavenly things. It focuses on worldly things. And even in the church, when people come into counseling into the church, marriage counseling, men's counseling, women's counseling, biblical counseling... Many times the biggest reason is because they have not been focusing on heavenly things. It's mostly worldly things. And when they come in, what do we do is we don't counsel them ourselves being who we are. We counsel them back with what God says in His Word. And one of the questions that I ask when I do marriage counseling is, I ask them, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Yes, I am. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that this is God's word? They say yes. If they say no, I said, I have to share with them about who Jesus Christ is. And if they do, I said, okay, the counseling is going to be done by this right here. It's not going to be done by me or secular counseling. Just understand that. And there's going to be homework. Are you okay with that? Yes because I can assure you that if you go through here and the counseling through this book right here, your marriage may have been falling apart, but I guarantee you, if both of you do this, Jesus will hold it back together again. And it's amazing when I see people that don't do it fall apart, and when I see people that do do it, and how their marriages are totally different. It's only by the power of God that happens. And it's so awesome. I have know couples that I've sat with, gone through the Word, six, seven, eight sessions and things in the Word, and the things were just being a divorce. They were falling apart, everything. And because of God and His Word and His Spirit, they are serving the Lord. Their marriages are, are, are awesome, and they're just so thankful that God put them back together. That's the power of God's Word, amen? That's the power of His Word. And the thing about it is, as we think about God and think about heavenly things, God thinks about you and I. So there's no confusion. God thinks about you a lot. Listen to what David said in Psalm 139, 17 to 18. He says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. I mean, it's like this. Like if I had a thing of sand in my hand, and I asked you to count that sand, it would be literally impossible, wouldn't it? Count the specks of sand. That's how much God thinks about you. I mean, I would say God thinks about us 100%, right? That's how much He thinks about you. I mean, to me, that's amazing that God thinks about you and I that much. And a question comes into, how much do I think about God? Do I spend that much of time? He's thinking about me like the, the the sand. I mean, the grains of sand. That's incredible. So God wants us in this relationship for us to be thinking about Him and thinking about us and what He does. And nothing better is that when we are thinking about Him and He's thinking about us. And so I have this. You may have seen this, but how do you do your day? Here's some advice right here. This is how we do our day. Start with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. And end with Jesus. That's how we do our day. Start early in the morning, get up, spend time with him. We start with Jesus. We go through the day. We stay with Jesus through the day. We think about him. He's on our minds. We have things we have to do, absolutely. but We stop, take moments, and spend time with him and his word and praying to him. And we stay in him. And then we get home. And then we the end of the day. And then we end with Jesus as well. And the thing is, is man, we do it again the next day. And it's, it's great. And here's the warning. If you start your day with Jesus and you stay with Jesus in the day and you end your day with Jesus and you do that continually, there's a warning with that, okay? Here's the warning. You're going to have an overabundance of joy in your life. By the way, you're going to have an overabundance of hope in your life. Oh, wait a minute. You're going to have an overabundance of peace in your life. If you do that every single day. Because there is hope, there is joy, and there is peace in Jesus Christ, and you can't find in any other place except Him. Does everybody agree with that? All right. Let's go to verse 18. we got to wrap this up. Let's go. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, uh, things on heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of Calvary Chapel. He's reconciled us back with God. And here's the thing is that we'll talk about reconciliation in a little bit in verse 22. But here's the next thing we have to remember is that no no confusion. Jesus is the head of the church and he wants his church to move forward in unity with one another. And think about what uh, Jesus said in his prayer, he says, I do not pray for these alone, the people that were there, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in my, me through their word, that they are all together as one, as you are in one. Father, you uh, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So there's this unity, okay, that we see there between God and the Father and us and God. And there's this unity he wants us to move all together. And so here's the thing is, is that there's 59 one another verses in the Bible, 59 of them. He, God wants us to be together. And we have problems. God gave us direction on how to do things. And there's no confusion. Jesus gives us direction on what we're to do when we have issues with one another. Do we ever have issues with one another? Well, we do. I tell you what. And God gives us the answers. Matthew 18:15. it says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If they will not listen to you, bring one or two along with you, okay, and discuss the matter, okay, establish and talk about it. If they refuse, it says, tell the church. We've had that where people come to the church. There's issues and talks and we talk about it. But if refuse to listen, it says that the church is to treat them like a tax collector. The church doesn't want to do that. But we want to spend time talking about it and communicating, okay? And the purpose is for restoration, And there's no confusion is that Jesus is really into restoration, reconciliation, and relationships. Verse 21, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. Anybody thankful that you are free from accusation? Matter of fact, does anybody feel holy in here? Raise your hand if you're holy. You're a bunch of holy rollers in here, okay? But we are holy because of what Jesus Christ did. And it's so amazing, and there's confusion about that. And here's the no confusion, that when you put your hope and faith in Jesus, God views you as holy. You're set apart without blame. But who tries to blame us? Satan. He is the accuser. But Jesus says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. All right. Verse 23 says, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that have proclaimed in every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh uh, what is lacking in regard of Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul went through this suffering, okay, for sharing Christ. Many people rejected, And he says rejoice. And if we were in prison, we wouldn't say that. We'd be like, what? And how can he be rejoicing? But here's the thing is he's not rejoicing in suffering. He's rejoicing the fact, the fact that people have come to know who Jesus Christ is. See, he's rejoicing for that. And he was a man on mission with a purpose. And it's amazing all the things that God did through him. And he kept on mission. Verse twenty-five. It says, "I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make them among uh, known among the Gentiles in glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Anybody glad to be chosen? Anybody ever seen the show The Chosen? That's a great show. Verse 28 says, He is the one who reclaims, admonishing and teaching everything, everyone with wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I genuinely contend with all energy, Christ so powerfully works in me. So there's no confusion. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. We can do all things, Philippians 4.13. 4, and when God puts us to do something, he will empower us to do the things that he wants us to do. And the last verse I'll share with you says, 1 Corinthians 15 57. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful to have victory? We have victory in Christ. Matter of fact, everybody just lift their hands up real quick and go like this. I know Ken's here. When you see each other, do this to each other. What does that stand for? Peace. For tonight, it stands for victory. Because we have victory in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, on the count of three, let's say we have victory. One, two, three. Have victory. Amen. Amen. So, God, we just thank you so much. Lord, we do have victory because of what you did at the cross. God, we are so thankful for you. And, God, as we just share with your word with about who you are as being God. And many people out there not understanding it, knowing that, the statistics say 52% of people in America don't know that Jesus Christ is God. God, I just pray for anybody here tonight or listening online, if they have not accepted you as Jesus Christ, that tonight is the night for salvation. If you haven't, just say this. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. God, I repent and I turn my life to you. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. Put your Holy Spirit inside of me so I can live this life following you. And God, thank you for rescuing me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.